1: Matt Boudreau.
0: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 233 you're listening to. My guest today is Bo Sorensen. Bo is a producer, mixer, and engineer. He's based here in California, and he's worked with uh, Death Cab for Cutie, Bob Mould, Super Chunk, and uh, a variety of other people. And I'll include a link on in the show notes to uh, his website, bonoise.com. So, check that out for more information. But Bo joins me at uh, Highwire Coffee, a different Highwire Coffee than I normally go to in um, Berkeley this time, Berkeley, California. I got to tell you, I got really lucky here. You know, normally I tend to stack the interviews up so that there's a constant flow of interviews. Well, I ran out of interviews. And at the very last minute, Justin Perkins, former WCA guest Justin Perkins, an outstanding mastering engineer, just said, well, have you contacted Bo Sorensen? (laughs) No, I hadn't, actually. And Justin, you know, gave me his info, and we quickly assembled an interview at the last minute. So uh want to thank Justin for that. I want to thank Bo for, of course, joining me for a last-minute coffee. So last minute, it was on Friday that we did the interview, and as I record this, this is uh, Sunday morning, and you're going to hear this on Monday. So it all came together quite quickly. So Takes a village, right? So yeah, Bo Sorensen coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups. Let's talk about dramatic things like calendars and death. You know it. I know it. We all know it. It's no big secret. Your time on this earth is limited. Although I did see this guy the other day. I think he was the oldest guy on the planet. He died at 145. He actually looked dead before he even died. Anyway, I digress. Your time on this planet is short, so let that sink in. Whether you're 16, 35, 50, 75, you could die at any moment from a number of things. And I'm reminded of that every single day when I get the news of a friend dying. Whether it's from cancer, car wrecks, liver issues, drug overdoses. You know, all the many, many ways we can die. And I'll tell you, the older I get, I kind of feel like, wow, I've made it this far, amazing. What am I gonna do with my time? How am I gonna manage my time? This is where we segue from death into calendars, yeah. Get yourself a calendar, friends. If you don't do it, do it. Just do it, try it. Try the, we'll call it the 21 day calendar challenge since that's what people do, challenges. Get yourself uh, something from Google or Apple or whatever it is you wanna use that makes your life uh, planable. I don't care if you get a paper calendar down at some stationery store and some fancy pen and you want to go that route. Just do something that's going to allow you to plan for your clients, your family, your holidays, all the things that are important to you. And the reason I bring it up is this. Uh, number one, it you know helps you stay on top of the shit that you're doing, but your word is your bond, right? I don't know if a lot of you younger people ever heard that, but when I grew up I was always told by my older brothers and my my dad your word is your bond when you tell somebody you're going to do something they expect you to do it and when you have a calendar that allows you to stay on top of those promises that you've made believe me i've failed at that numerous times and uh, the more i get into planning my own time the less i let people down in that respect now you're human so it's going to happen So also, if you really want to get super micro about it, there's a program out there I've been using called OmniFocus. You can check that out. I'll include a link in the show notes. It's just a super detailed planning system. But at the very least, make it so that when you make time for projects that you're working on, they go on the calendar. If you're going on a family vacation, put it on the calendar. If you promised your kids something, put it on the calendar, whatever it is. Just put it on the calendar and organize your time. So the the bonus of all this is if if you start with the planning of day-to-day planning, of figuring out what what am I doing today? What am I doing tomorrow and the next week? Then I think that the trickle-down effect of that is is that you start to get organized in other areas of your life. And if you're a disorganized person, you probably leave around a lot of messes. And that could be client files as well. And if you can stay organized on that kind of stuff, then if you do drop dead of your various habits or strange coincidences, then um, there's not always a huge mess for others to pick up in the wake of your death. People will know where things are, where client files are, where important documents are. Yeah, it'll be easy for them to find When you're not around, if you've stayed organized. Also, if you're one of the smart speaker users at Alexa or Google or whatever, they'll send you reminders about the upcoming events you have. Pretty cool thing. Yeah. All right, that's it. Calendars. Get into it. Don't die early. All right, that's it. Let's get to it. Bo Sorensen here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we're at a different high wire coffee than I normally meet people at. This one is in Berkeley Mm -hmm. and we're in a back patio and we're lucky today. There's nobody out here. Let's start with where did audio become relevant as a professional venture for you? Yeah, it's a
1: funny, it's a funny question. I've I've thought about that a lot as well, like over the years, I mean, I think the story that I usually explain is music was always, like a lot of people, music is always part of my life. I grew up playing instruments. I grew up with some recording equipment at home, just kind of recording my own music, kind of messing around keyboards and drum machines and stuff. And there was a point which I decided I wanted to know more about how to record my own music. And so I went to some school for it. And I think the r- moment that it really clicked for me was the first time I had my first internship at a recording studio because suddenly I realized it combined several elements that I really loved, which was technology, technical skills, music and creative skills, and interacting with other people. And before that, it had all sort of been separate as in like, I can record stuff by myself, but it's a little bit lonely. And I think also the purely technical side is interesting that at a certain point, gear is just gear. And so there was something about realizing and being in a recording studio and seeing how you can be a creative facilitator for other people, I was like, this is incredible. It just sort of felt really natural. And I, like a lot of people, I said, I want to spend every day of my life in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ever see the sunlight again. Yeah, exactly. Where did you uh, intern at? I was absurdly f- fortunate, ludicrously fortunate to stumble into interning at this incredible recording studio in Madison, Wisconsin. Called Smart Studios, I'd gone to like a little bit of schooling there for like a two-year kind of community college, technical college to get some sort of basics in recording and how to handle stuff and how to not break stuff. And it's a funny story. I was getting out of school, trying to find a place to intern. As everyone knows, it's an impossible thing to accomplish. There's not many jobs in recording. There's not many internships, especially. This was around 2004, 2005. Not exactly a high point for the industry. And so I was very close to moving to Los Angeles. I was gonna to try to just find whatever internship I could there. And the studio manager at Smart, Mike Zirkel, called me several weeks before I was, I was packing things up. I was gonna to move to the West Coast. And he said, hey, have you thought about coming down to interview for an internship at Smart? And it hadn't even crossed my mind because it was such a lofty place to me. You knew each other? We did not know each other. I had had no idea. I later found out that I was, somebody put my name in and recommended me. teacher of mine at school had told Mike you should you should call this guy and see if he wants an internship and I met Mike and talked to him about the studio I think we were supposed to talk for maybe 15 or 20 minutes we ended up talking for almost three hours about Beach Boys outtakes and (laughs) you know what I mean it was crazy and I started interning there a couple days later and spent I think almost six years there
0: not as an intern
1: A couple years as an intern, like a year or so as an intern and then an assistant for a couple years and then staff engineer for a few years after that, right up until Smart closed. Was that a paid internship? It was not a paid internship. What
0: did you do to survive in that time
1: period? I did what I always did before I worked in recording studios and what I will probably eventually do when I no longer work in recording studios, which is I worked at a hardware store. I had worked at hardware stores all through high school and... When I moved to Madison and was living there, I worked at hardware stores. Yeah, so I had a part-time job at a hardware store and was also working at this internship.
0: I don't understand, what is the magic tie of the hardware store to your future and to your past?
1: Well, I mean, I think one, just because it's familiar and I know I can do it. I think there are, in, in some strange ways, there are things that I learned working at a hardware store that maybe applied to working on records, which is it's helping people solve problems on the spot with the things that you have in front of you. Mm. There's a technical aspect to it, but there's also a human aspect of how can I help this person solve what they're trying to accomplish at this moment. It's also a place where you're free to drink as much coffee as you want all day long, which is also a big part of my life and recording studios. You can drink coffee all day long in hardware stores? It's it's part of the culture. It's Yeah. Wow. it's, It's old guys sitting around drinking coffee all day long.
0: What is it about your personality that leads you to want to help people,
1: do you think? I guess I don't know. Maybe it goes back to a little bit of my relationship with music and like how much music has helped me through different parts of my life. While I've never felt a huge need to be a person performing, the focus of what's going on, I know how much music has mattered to me and to so many other people and to the people I work with as well. And I think being able to help facilitate part of that process, I don't know, it feels like if I can help someone navigate the recording process, which for a lot of musicians and artists is like a particularly tricky thing to navigate and try to figure out, I can sort of bear some of the burden of like, how do we actually accomplish this? How do we get through this project? How do we figure out how to record this instrument or whatever? that's maybe the way I can contribute to music in a sort of, not not behind the scenes, but sort of like supportive role, I guess. Hmm.
0: Do you think that there's like a, a nurturing element to you that comes from how you were raised or?
1: I guess I don't know. It's really interesting. I haven't really thought about it in that context before. I think I love musicians. I love, you know, I love music. I love being around musicians. And I think I feel a pretty strong frustration when I see the creative process being restrained by the technical side or the mechanics of what it takes to make music or capture it or present it, you know? People struggling to record themselves or people sort of fighting against trying to figure out how to get their computer to do what they want or all those sort of things. And so also maybe because I've always sort of had a knack for it, I feel like this is something that I can do that I can sort of help expedite or facilitate the process, I guess.
0: What did you learn What are the key points of knowledge that you walked away with in your time at SMART?
1: Man, it's hard for me to even, I should probably sit down and just list as much of it. And the amount of things I learned at SMART and from working with Mike were just immense. But I mean, I think the number one thing I always try to remember is to be kind to the people you're working with, be thankful that you're working on it respect the people that you're working with. Another thing that Smart was really great for was it fostered a very creative environment. It was a sort of place where like, if you had a crazy idea, you could try it. A lot of that's wrapped up. I know like Butch has talked a lot about the history of the place, how like starting out, if somebody had a crazy idea, they would try it. There's stories of people wanting explosion sounds. And so they're setting off cherry bombs in places and all sorts of, you know, So, like, it was a creative incubator, and I think there was a thing where, like, when I got to the point where I could assist on stuff or I could work on my own sessions at night, I'd be left alone at this amazing studio with all these great microphones, this vintage A-range console, all these crazy, like, keyboards and stuff. And then on Monday morning, Mike would come in and he would say, how did it go? What did you guys do? And so there was this there was definitely this freedom to kind of be like, well, we tried this and we plugged this into this and it sounded really crazy. And it kind of maybe we broke it, but I don't think we did. <laughs> and it was totally cool. And I think that was huge for me in sort of being fearless in recording or, or I don't know. I shouldn't say I'm fearless, but I like try to be fearless, I guess, in recording and in chasing someone's vision, I guess. So that's a huge thing, I think, that Smart taught me.
0: I should point out, I'm just assuming that when either one of us has Smart Studios, that the audience knows that that was where Butch Vig did a lot of recording, and that was his home base for many years. So if you're not hip to that, go back to the Butch Vig episode and take a listen to Butch's interview. Well, so six years at what point did you stop being an intern, and what was that transition like?
1: I don't remember exactly how and when that happened, but it's the, sort of the natural progression of a lot of studios where you start to be very familiar with what's going on. People can trust you. People come in that need somebody to cover a session, and you happen to be there, and so you can start to do parts of the process. You can maybe start to handle the recording, and can start to do parts of it, and it was a very small studio, you know. Most of the time it was Mike and I were the primary people there every day, along with a couple techs, our incredible techs, Lonia and Tim, and then a number of other engineers that would pass to the studio. But at a certain point, there's sessions that need to be done and you're there and you know how things work and so like you kind of get tossed into it. Hmm. I don't remember if there was a specific moment or if it was more of a gradual sort of thing. But.
0: And did you move to a position of just being a freelancer bringing work in
1: or no? did uh, you get paid? I was a paid employee of the studio which was part of the reason I stayed there because I was like I will never find a job where I'm a paid employee of a studio <laughs> in this economy ever again. Yeah, I was an employee of the studio, and so like I was paid a salary just to kind of cover my time when I was there, when I wasn't doing session work. And during that time, I would be cleaning stuff, fixing stuff, doing updates to the website, just kind of shipping stuff, just studio management stuff, helping Mike out with that. And then I got a small hourly rate on top of that for the days where I was doing session work. So... It was kind of like a way where I could have a cushion for just hourly work which was probably about what I was making at the hardware store and then for session work that I would get or bring in I would get paid a little bit more.
0: So survival in Madison was was doable. Yeah, it was it was totally
1: possible. Yeah,
0: a little bit different compared to where you live now.
1: <sighs> yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely <laughs> is. We'll get to that. Yeah.
0: Well, so what By chance, did your exit from
1: Smart coincide with the closing of Smart? It did 100%. I mean, there's part of me that's like, I I mean, who knows what would have happened, but if it was still there, I very well may still be there, you know. But there was a point at which it just seemed like running a studio of that sort of scope in that market and that part of the country, it was just tough to do. And Mike and I fought it out for a long time. We kind of like talked about it and of course sort of discussed it with Butch a lot as well. And there was a point at which it just seemed like it was maybe time to shut it down. And it's weird, I, there's a part of me that wonders if we would have stuck it out for a couple more years, if it would have turned around and came back, because I feel like there was definitely a lower point in the studio economy that then things started to pick up. But yeah, there was a point at which it seemed like it was time to close. And as much as I loved working at Smart, there's always this part of me that It was always interesting to work other places, to see other, get into other rooms, to hear how other people do things. And I did a little bit of that while I was there as well. But when Smart closed, I was like, I think I want to keep making records. And I think the only way I can do it is if I become a freelance recording engineer. And so I was like, I think I'm just going to keep doing it that way.
0: So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. At any point in the closing of Smart, did you
1: contemplate opening your own studio? No, I didn't. And I've wondered if my, sort of my first and primary experience in recording being at a studio that I love that closed weighed me with some baggage about owning a recording studio of my own and I've kind of resisted it for my whole career of like having my own place. I think maybe possibly part from that reason a little bit. It's an incredible amount of work to do that. And the amount of respect I have for the people that run the recording studios I work at and own them is immense. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. The freedom that one has as a freelancer.
1: Yeah. Is immense. It is.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I mean, God, you know, I've already gone through in my early part of my career of having studios and going through that fascination process, now I'm on the other side of that going, never again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I understand. People always ask me and I say, not unless I have to, or like not unless I'm forced to, you know? And it's tough. You start to move towards a spot where you want autonomy and you want control and there's definitely that temptation always there, but I also, I mean, I hate to say it, but I love making records more than I love running a studio. I think that's what I want to do the most, is I want to help people make music. And even just working as a freelance engineer, you spend so much of your time not making records, just preparing for and cleaning up after records and adding like a building and a space. And yeah, it's a lot.
0: It's. I think it's very similar to uh, chefs. Chefs who love yeah. to cook. Yeah. And then one day a chef will say, I think I'm going to open a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And then they end up getting out of it. Yeah, to- yeah, totally. I can see that. The other thing I do have to always remind myself is, is like, For everything you believe, there's an example that flies in the face of that. And I think one is my friend and a hero of mine, Tucker Martin, who Mm, does, does an amazing job of he has his place. And he seems to have built an incredible recording studio and manages to keep busy making records. And it seems like he's figured out how to make that whole situation happen. So he's maybe someone I would look up to as if I could figure out how to do it like, him maybe that would make more sense but
0: yeah and i think tucker and his his wife have very musical family in general yeah and i mean it's just like a whole part of their world yeah i'm sure years to come down the road we'll hear stories of their kids oh, and man. the influence that tucker and his wife have had on their kids
1: oh my god yeah
0: tucker is a is a former wca guest so if you have a chance go back and listen to my interview with tucker i'll include a link in the show notes tell me about your transition from midwest to to west coast
1: yeah so there was a little bit of serendipity in it and i somehow at the timing of when smart was closing i got asked to do a record by my good friend and probably the other person that has the most influence and i probably have learned the most from in recording is chris walla and chris and i first worked on a record by his band death cab for cutie at smart They had tracked the record out east at this studio called Longview Farms, which had an A-range console. And when it came time to mix the record, he kind of wanted to mix it on a similar console when Smart had a Trident A-range, kind of an esoteric British recording console. And so Chris came to Smart to mix plans. And that's how we got to know each other and stayed in touch. Several years later, Smart was closing. And I think maybe I called him and I said, Hey, I think Smart's going to close. I think I'm going to keep working freelance and I don't know what I'm going to do but that's as far as I've gotten. And he said, "I'm really sorry cuz he loved he loved Smart as well and we worked on other projects thereafter plans." And he said, "Well, we're getting ready to make another record and I kind of wanted to ask you if you would help me record it." And so it just happened that the timing of when Smart was closing was when I got asked to do this project that was gonna be a couple months long, and it was gonna take place all up and down the West Coast. We ended up working in Vancouver, Seattle, a little bit in Portland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And I'd done a little bit of work in Portland already, and Portland's maybe the easiest city in the world to fall in love with. So I had I'd been looking at Portland as a place to sort of base myself out of as a freelance engineer. So I was like, maybe I'm gonna move to Portland and I'll spend the first three months out there just working on this record and then try to put my life together from there. And so there was this sort of weird serendipity that brought me out there. You know, it was something that was in my mind and I'd been looking at, but it kind of just sort of happened that way. And hmm. It was great. It gave me a bunch of work to get started. It got me into a bunch of studios out here it brought me to Tiny Telephone for the first time. Tiny Telephone, San Francisco or Oakland? That was Tiny Telephone, San Francisco. It was, the B room hadn't been built yet. And so it was just the A room in, it's a while ago. in San Francisco, yep. And I don't know if there was even a dream of Oakland yet at that point. That would have been around 2010, I think probably 2010 or 2011.
0: But ultimately, where did you end up?
1: I ended up in Portland. And part of the band was living in Los Angeles at the time. Chris is in Portland, part of the band is in Seattle. And so to sort of, democratize people's time away from home. They're like, let's do it in several different places. So hmm.
0: and how long did you stay in Portland?
1: I was there for about five, I think it was about five years. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. OK, so you were ingrained.
1: I was. It's interesting. I think during the time I was in Portland, I did more work out of Portland than I did in Portland. I was traveling a lot for work then, and a lot of us still in the Midwest. I found myself going back to Chicago, Milwaukee, up to Seattle for a bunch of stuff, down to the Bay Area for other things as well. Let me drill down into that
0: a little bit to kind of demystify some of that for some of the listeners. Okay, so you have this experience in, in, in Madison, you move to Portland, you know Chris, and you're tied in with Death Cab for Cutie. Therefore, that tends to get other work to appear right? To a degree, yeah. Okay. So when you say, you know, I was traveling a lot, like, give me an example
1: of a gig that comes about and how does the travel come about? Yeah. And I'm glad you went back to clarify that because for me telling it is oh, like I got asked to work on this record by this successful band and I was traveling up and down the West Coast. It's very romanticized, which that part was amazing and it was great. And then continuing freelance work, it was a lot more like a band I had worked with at Smart, who was in Chicago said, "Hey, we're going to get we're going to do another record. Can you come out and record us?" And I said, "If you can cover the cost of a plane ticket, I'll come out there and record you." And I would fly out to Chicago. I would probably sleep on the couch in the band's house and we'd find a studio somewhere that we could record at and I'd spend five days or a week out there recording and then I would end up going back to Portland and usually mix it at my house. Sometimes we would get together and mix it at a studio in Portland. Would they pay you a day rate? Yeah, usually. I've always kind of worked on a day rate. I mean, mostly because like I don't like to think about hours. I kind of feel like there's some part of me of when I'm recording, I don't want to do anything else that day. And I I sort of hate the idea that whatever I'm doing after my session is loading down my day of like, oh, I've got to get out of here. I mean, that inevitably happens from time to time, but I don't want it to think of I'm here at 9 a.m. and at 8:55 I gotta like get out of here. I want it to be more like I'm here, and if things go really well and it ends up taking longer, that's great because we have got stuff done. If things don't go as well and like maybe we need to wrap a little earlier, that's okay. There's that sort of flexibility of it. So I've always kind of worked on the day rate thing. It's just for me, it's an easier way to kind of quantify time, I guess.
0: And it's interesting to me because the band chose to call you specifically to say, can you come to Chicago? And I mean, you know, I, when I say this, no disrespect, but they could just as easily call somebody in Chicago. Yeah. So what? why do you think that they call you?
1: I mean, if I'm totally honest, I would say I have no idea. But yeah. <laughs> I think probably because we had a good experience working together, but because for whatever reason, the time that we spent working at that point, it would have been something I did at Smart or maybe went to Chicago to work on. I helped them execute their vision in a way or in a manner that maybe they hadn't achieved before. One of the other things I want to go back to that I learned from SMART that I always try to remember is in working at SMART, I would work with people who had passed through the studio in years before and they'd talk about their time with, they're like, I remember I was, we worked on this record with Butch back then and like, he was so awesome. And one of the things people always said was, man, he was so patient. We would be working on this stuff and it would just be going like take after take after take. And he was just so patient with stuff. He was just like, let us take the time we needed to get there. And that kind of always really stuck with me, being patient. And I was reminded of that again in a later way, after I'd lived in Portland for a while, I decided I wanted to go back to assisting for a bit because I, I mean, there isn't really like grad school for recording engineers. I was like, maybe I can work for somebody else or work around someone else and learn a little bit more. And so I, I asked Tucker if I could just assist him on some stuff at Flora. And I was again struck by how patient Tucker is in recording and producing and the entire process of just how someone's working at a part, he would just kind of let it develop. And there were points when I was assisting and watching him, I'd be like, man, I think that's great. I think we should just record it. What This is taking forever. And then it would take twice as much time as that, but it would get to some spot that was much more profound. And also everyone would have this comfort because they feel like they had fully explored all the options rather than feeling like someone was shutting them down before they could get there. And so I think that, I think I've always tried to just be really patient.
0: I think that's one of my flaws. I think in tracking, I've always kind of had this like, let's get to the goal mentality. And
1: hearing you say this really makes, reminds me that you just have to let it, Happen. I mean, I'm the same way, especially with tracking. I mean, tracking days are the—they're not the worst. They're very exciting. It feels like the first day of kindergarten or something. But so there's excitement and there's all these nerves. But as an engineer kind of all the pressure is on you because like you have to get all this crap set up and make it all work and you have to sort of pull off this magic trick of like I can set up these microphones and I can make you sound like the band of your dreams or whatever and you have to do it pretty quickly because like no one wants to sit around for the first half of the day and they're kind of sitting there fiddling around stuff and then they're you're kind of plugging stuff in and they're kind of like cool when do you think we will be ready and you're like pretty soon but you want to make sure things are intact and they're working and and that sort of stuff. And it's taken me many, many years to kind of just keep pushing back on people. I pride myself on being able to work fast and get things up and going fast, but there's times where I've been like, just slow down, make sure it's all working, make sure it's sounding good, make sure you have everything you need to do your job. And then after that, it'll go much easier. So yeah, I'm the same way with that stuff.
0: I think part of that too for me is that the band says, well, we only have two days or yeah. we only book two days or three days. And in my mind, I'm like compounding all of the things that need to get done in that time period. And that's when I start to go, okay, yeah. pressure's on to get, you know," as you said, the setup. Yep. And then to be patient as well without having everybody go, well, I'm always worried people are going to say, well, it was a good experience, but man, we really could have used a little pushing.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. And that's also always hard to know is what your role is. Do people want to hear that? If it isn't specified that you are producing the session, if you're they just hire you to help make this record, do they want you to say, I don't know, man, maybe we could use one more? Or would they or be happy? They're just like, we know what we want. We just need you to push record and stay out of the way. And It's always hard to feel out that relationship as you go.
0: You also said something that I wanted to just bring up as a point and then we can move on if you'd like for me i you know i have two children and i have duties that i have to attend to Mm -hmm. when i'm home and my kids are out at various things school or summer camps or whatever and i noticed that when i leave town to go make records it's so much easier yeah because i could just check out mentally yeah that's handled I'm with you, band, all day long. Oh, yeah. 24 hours a day if you want. Yep. And so just as a suggestion to those who do have kids, consider taking a band out of town or or going to a band out of town when you do have kids
1: because it's it's easier to just be focused on the band. I mean, I would recommend that to bands. I mean, it's getting out of your environment, you know. First of all, there's like a lot of romance in the old The Rolling Stones are going to set up in the chateau in the south of France. We're going to live there and we're going to do that. Which outside of the sort of rock and roll dreams, there is something to be said both for engineers and producers, but also the artists as well to remove yourself from those distractions and get away for even just a couple days to do something, especially for like a tracking session. It can be really helpful. I feel like there are more options for that at a more affordable price for musicians these days than there were when i started recording people always dreamed about that one yeah. they're like oh yeah what if we could go like rent some place and do that and there are options like that now that are pretty great and the other thing i always say when i found myself in those sort of residential recording situations where you're just kind of living at the studio and you're out in the middle of nowhere i always say this to people is like there's nothing else to do you know what I mean? You're out there and you're like, we can go for a walk or we can go record some more. And so it is really, in a way, it can be very efficient as well. Definitely. Yeah. Why did you leave Portland? Um, so affordable. I know. Leaving Portland, was a, it was a tough decision. I, I shouldn't say that. It was a tough decision in some ways and it was a very obvious decision in other ways. Mm-hmm. There were two huge factors that led to me leaving Portland. I guess the first one is that I met the woman that would become my wife who was from the Bay Area. And so there was this remarkable gravity pulling me towards the Bay Area. And I'd been here before, I'd worked on records before. It's an amazing part of the world, like I loved it, but I was also like, I'm a recording engineer, there's no way I can afford to live in the Bay Area. The other factor that happened at the same time was my friend John Vanderslice was building a studio in Oakland and had been using all of his Jedi mind tricks to try to lure me down here to work at that studio as well. And as I sort of said earlier, I'd first met John when Chris and I worked at Tiny. We recorded strings, the Magic Magic Orchestra for plans at the A-Room and had been in touch. John played a show at my house in Portland a couple years later and was always saying like, we're gonna build a studio in Oakland. It's gonna be amazing. You should come down here. I want you to be working here. There was a point at which I was like, there's this person that I'm completely crazy about here. And then there's this other person who's, I mean, always been one of my heroes asking me to come down here, work at a studio. I guess maybe the third factor is I had been working freelance for about five years or so, and traveling a lot was tiresome. The records I was working on weren't, they weren't big budget records. I mean, like I've never flown first class in my entire life. It was like a lot of flying somewhere, usually staying somewhere like a spare bedroom in the bands or something like that, and working in great studios, but it wasn't posh in any way. And there's a thing about recording work and traveling for it where like, I would bring some equipment with me. And there's a couple days before where you're like getting ready, you're packing your stuff up. I'm shipping like microphones and equipment that I'm kind of worried about. And I'm like, is this stuff going to get there? And oh then yeah. Gotta, so you got to wait to see if it gets there and the shipping's expensive and then you got to ship it back. And you're like, I don't know, is that, is that lunchbox going to make it back? And then it's all beat up. and. And, you know, and there's a couple of days of just on either end where I realized there's so I was losing so much time in my schedule. You know, and then I get back home, I got to like put my studio back together so I can start mixing whatever it is I recorded, and I was like, I need to go back to having a home base a little bit more. Mm. And the idea of being focused around Tiny Telephone and traveling less was really appealing at that point for me.
0: About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app. app. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app, Check it out. So you moved to the Bay Area and John opened Oakland, tiny telephone. Yeah. And you, you ended up leaving Portland. I did. Yeah. A bit of a shock financially. I mean, you, you did it in good steps though. You went from Madison to Portland. Uh, it's been, yeah. And Portland to Berkeley or Oakland. Yep. Well, as far as the arrangement with John, how did that work out?
1: So I talked to John about it, and I said, I want to be working at Tiny Telephone primarily. Like, I want that to be kind of where I'm bringing work in. But I also don't want to lose the option to travel for work if something really lucrative comes up. And also, frankly, there's a lot of times where if there's a band, that to get one of me to where four or five people are is a lot cheaper than getting four or five people to San Francisco for a week. And, how, you know?
0: and housing them and feeding them.
1: Honestly, there's a lot of records where housing costs as much as the studio. It's like, Especially if a studio is 350 bucks a day. So I was like, I need to be able to travel for some of those projects from time to time, but I'll, I'll bring as much work as possible to Tiny. And I'll also incentivize that by charging less when I'm at tiny. And I'll charge more if I'm traveling or for outside work. And that's also a little bit of me trying to Encourage. It's for me trying to do a little bit less traveling and trying to encourage stuff to be closer to home because it's a lot easier for me. And honestly, I was really fortunate during the years where I travel a lot to work in a lot of different rooms. And I worked at some places that like I'd always dreamed of working in and I learned a lot and I saw a lot and I heard a lot of stuff. But the ability to go into the same room that you've been working in every day or almost every day for four or five years and just know where stuff is, how it works, know what works, maybe know what you don't like and know how to get around it is so valuable, especially when it comes back to that setting up thing we talked about where it's like, if you woke me up in the middle of the night and you're like, you have to go to Tiny Telephone, you have to start recording like a three piece punk rock band in a half hour, I could walk down there, and I'd be like, okay, this is what I wanna do. I know what's going on, I can figure it out hmm. because there's a familiarity with what's there. I'd be like, okay, yeah, like I'm probably gonna grab this. This is how it goes. Should probably put the drums there, and having that, it eliminates so much of that first day of school thing, which is if you go into a, you're hired to go to a studio that you've never been before. Maybe it's a great studio. This is great, but you're like so how do you guys, uh, <laughs> uh, so headphones, how, uh, how do you got, you know? Right. And then patch bay. Patch um, bay. Yeah. Okay. So like, wait, where is that thing? And also part of the thing about being freelance is sometimes you find yourself in places that aren't that great. I would find myself in situations where the band's like, well, we've got this much money and we've got this buddy who's got this place in his basement. And you're like, okay. And then you're put in the situation where you're like, guys, this place pretty busted and it's hard for you to do your job. Mm -hmm. But there's also, I'm a believer that like poor workman complains about his tools. It's also like they're getting a deal because it's their friend and you're kind of like, this is kind of a nightmare. So like having a place where you're really, really familiar with is a huge asset, especially for projects that are short on time.
0: It's always interesting when a band is, you know, they're trying to project manage their their record and, hey, we got a great deal at this studio. And you're like, oh, not that studio. (laughs) And because yeah. you know, it's like, well, I've been there. The patch bay is like It's fine, like but there's some stuff that's
1: kind of weird. Or you're like, yeah, there's all that stuff that's in the rack that you ask about it. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, I love those. And they're like, Pfft yeah, that's been doing this thing. And you're like, okay, cool, I won't use that. So what's up with channel 7, 13, and 14? They're like, yeah, nobody ever uses those, so just... Uh-huh.
0: Or the person who gives you the keys, they're on their way out because they're late for an appointment, and then they're handing you the keys going, oh, and by the way, channels, blah, 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 on the patch bay, yeah, don't use those. And, it, and they run yeah. this whole scenario yeah, by you. It totally. goes
1: in one ear, out the other, and you're like, you're oh, like- shit. Or the situations where... You've been fortunate enough to have, you know, most of the time I work by myself, but sometimes I'll work at places and a lot of outside places they have that policy. The first day you have an assistant or something to help you get going, right. which is great. Then the assistant's not there the, the, the second day and you haven't set anything up and you're like, okay, so the panel in the back of the second ISO comes back, where and like, how did you? Yeah. Oh, I hate that. I know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So it's it's great when you have great assistance. Yes. Places that have great infrastructure Mm -hmm. have great assistance. Always, always a bonus. Talk to me about your overarching philosophy with how you handle money and being a freelancer. Are there any rules of the road for you? In terms of like, how I get paid or how I... Yeah, everything from
1: how you get paid. Are you a saver? Are you a spender? Do you go and blow everything on new gear? I think because I'm from the Midwest, I tend towards being anxious. I tend to try to oversave, And I try to just wait until I really need something to buy it. Which, at times, is maybe maybe I should have spent some money to invest. Like, there's times where I'll finally get something and I'll be like, wow, if I would have bought this thing a year ago, that would have really helped me or that would have been great. I mean, I try to be pretty prudent with what I have. It's like, like all of us, gear is cool. I get excited about it. And like, when you find a tool that does something really transformative, it's amazing. And it's finding like the right screwdriver is like, I can finally like put this thing back together, you know? (laughs) But I also try to not obsess over and I try to remind myself how many great records were made with so little and with such simple tools and try to use what's available as much as possible. How do you handle the work-life balance thing with your wife? Well, I'm in a particularly specific situation in the fact that my wife is also a recording engineer oh yeah so my wife's name's uh Miriam Caduce she's a musician first and then over the time we've been together she's started engineering and producing records as well and now is as busy as I am doing it and so there's this amazing understanding between us of if one of us is working the other one isn't like hey, when do you think you're going to get home? Because we both kind of get it, you know? Yeah. So I would say in the on the good side of things, it affords both of us this kind of freedom to work when we need to work. It also affords us this freedom to take work because we both understand what it's like to be freelance and not need to take work when you can get it. I would say the drawback is it means both of us are busy and like finding pockets in our schedule are, is tough.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there's those conversations. Honey, have you seen my SM7?
1: Oh, uh, there is... We have a couple calendars for so we have a we keep a small studio in our house for mixing kind of goes against my thing about not having a studio, which I guess I should backtrack and say a key piece of advice that somebody gave me when I was at Smart was wherever you are, wherever you're working. It doesn't matter if you get hired to be like the lead engineer at Abbey Road, whatever you're doing, always keep some small space at home of your own where you can do work. It can just be like just an interface and a laptop where you can edit stuff or whatever, but never let go of the ability to work autonomously whenever you want. And that has saved my life so many times when like I can't get into a studio or this place closed. So it means that we have a studio at our house that we share, but it means we're both figuring out when we're booking that studio as well as, oh, I've got a session in San Francisco today. Do you mind if I take this with me? And it's like, no, actually, I was using that on a mix <laughs> oh, yesterday. So actually, can you leave that here? So Wow, this yeah. is a whole nother level. I know. I, it's
0: <laughs> This is yeah. territory, I don't think. Female or male, whatever your relationship situation is, having your significant other doing the same thing as you, And having to
1: jostle for the gear at home. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we joke that like we're gonna have to build a second studio at home just for each of us. But like, it's amazing. But it's also it's also great because like I've got someone to like I'll come home and I'll like I can play like a a mix and be like, what do you think? Am I overcooking this one a little bit? And she can say, yeah, you could probably just relax a bit, or or vice versa. She'll be like, I don't know, what do you think? Is way too much effects on the vocal? I'm like, no, I think that sounds great. So. It does, like everything, there's some parts that make it difficult. And if we do want to actually see each other and not be working, we have to. We, at this point have to schedule our time off together. God forbid you get a divorce. <laughs> I know. Have to split the assets on the iLock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's part of
0: how that happens. I'm so. taking the house and all of the sound toys plugins. ins Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> well, I don't use them anyway, so. <laughs> so you now live... In the Bay Area, yeah. you work at Tiny Telephone Oakland primarily, travel a bit, yeah. I assume still, to some degree. Where do you see the next five to 10 years?
1: Whew. I mean, if I'm totally honest, hopefully doing the same. When I started doing this, I never thought I would be able to do this for more than a year of my life. Each step of the way, I, I remember working at Smart and being aware of Tiny Telephone and thinking like, man, I love John's records. And like, that place is so cool. I hope I could like do one record there someday once, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, and I never was like, and the same thing about the other places I've mentioned, same thing about like electrical and so many of the artists I've been lucky enough to work with too, I've been like, wow, it would be amazing to work with someone like that. And so in this weird way, my lack of specific planning has brought me greater things than any focused effort at a certain thing. I think I wanna keep getting better at what, I wanna, at what I'm doing. I wanna keep making better records. I wanna stay busy. I think after being here for a few years now, I'm open to traveling a little bit more than I have been. I mean, I'm always open to traveling for stuff if it makes sense, though I don't think I could go back to traveling all year long. I guess maybe either finally opening a studio or fighting off the urge to open a studio. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a opening a studio in my future. What would be your business advice to a recording student at this moment? I think learn as much as you can, work on as many things as you can, be nice to everybody you can, just be kind to everyone, because you never know how they're gonna come back into your life Mm. or what they've experienced or what they might know that they can teach you. I guess maybe that sounds bad, like you should be nice to people because someday it's gonna pay off, but I've seen so many cases where the people around me I mean, someone like Butch who's like incredibly kind and incredibly successful. And for me, that's like a model of you can be kind and you can be successful. So I think also maybe another thing for people that are learning, I would say, is to learn as much stuff as you can and kind of don't listen to people when they say don't do things like that or don't worry about that. And don't worry about if someone's like, yeah it's like if you want to make records you got to learn how to use pro tools it's like if you like pro tools use pro tools if you like making records in ableton figure out how to make records in ableton and make cooler records than anybody else you know what i mean like who cares you know if someone's like you need to have this thing or you need to do this do it whatever you want and make cool records that way and don't worry about what people think you know worry
0: about making the records
1: yep yep don't worry about the tools yes exactly and Whatever tool you choose, learn it and get really good at it. And it doesn't matter if it's not the one that everyone else uses.
0: And know its pros and cons because yeah, Pro Tools has its pros and cons and tape has its pros and cons.
1: I love, I love them both, yeah, for different reasons. I guess maybe the last thing is always respect the people you're working with and respect their music and respect that it's their music and it's their craft. And realize that someone bringing their music to you to work on it is... It's an incredible privilege for you and it's a lot of trust on their part and maintain that relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a gift. It is. It's
0: truly a gift. Every day of it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for s- squeezing me in and having oh. coffee with me. Oh, of course. And we had other other than a helicopter and some other sounds I heard, we got really lucky. It's not too
1: bad. Yeah. yeah.
0: Little isotope, it'll be fine. Little isotope, <laughs> little pro
1: tooling? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Bo Sorensen here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being here with me today. Our friends over at Kali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for I want to thank everybody that helped out with today's show. That includes Anne-Marie Plough on the editing, Mr. Cliff Truesdale with the working-class audio theme music, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his lovely voice. Thank you for listening and coming back week after week. Tell all your friends, spread the word. I hope your next cup of coffee is a good one. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware...